You're listening to the Binge Media Podcast Network on BingeMedia.net. And now, the Binge Aftertaste. I live my life a quarter mile at a time. Nothing else matters, not the mortgage, not the store, not my team and all their bullshit. For those 10 seconds or less, I'm free. Gear up, bingers. It's time for the binge movie aftertaste. Fast and Furious Retrospective. Are you serious right now? Join Matt, Garrett, and Alex as they race through the entire franchise dedicated to fast cars and furious action. Stay the fuck out of my way. Where does each host come down on the series as a whole? Would you believe I knocked him out with my charm? You need that charming bitch. How has this franchise lasted this goddamn long? I need a refill. This is serious stuff. Will the hosts hate each other like The Rock and Vin Diesel by this retrospective's end? Sounds like a marriage. Yeah, but with cars, when you trade up, they don't take half your shit. Find out the answers to these questions and a whole lot more. All coming up, courtesy of Binge Media. I smell skanks. Fast and the Furious, Tokyo Drift, released June 16th, 2006. Budget was $85 million, box office of $159 million. And this was directed by Justin Lin. No three to be found in this numerical title, boys. A lot of people thought this was just a spinoff of the Fast and Furious movies because audiences can't read and they're like, oh, there's for three. So what the hell's this? Well, obviously, Vin Diesel didn't come back for the second one. So why the hell was he going to be in the third? And apparently, Paul Walker said, two's enough for me. I'm stepping out of this as well. So series on their third movie did not have either of their tentpole stars. So they were kind of at a crossroads. Paul Walker, I had read that they said he was, quote, too old. Ooh, that's what I read. <laughs> so they didn't want to bring him back. <laughs> it's so funny you say that considering who they replace him with. And he's supposed to be 17. Keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't rose-tinted glasses notwithstanding. They still wanted the series to continue. And much like a couple of other franchises that we've covered, Garrett, directors kept coming and going by the wayside. We have our third director for the third movie, Mr. Justin Lin, who would, as I teased at the end of the last show, really would become the go-to guy for this series for a very long period of time. Mr. Lin, of course, most people know now exclusively because of this series, but before he got his hands on Fast and Furious, he did a little movie called Better Luck Tomorrow, which came out in 2002, sort of a little crime drama about some people who get into petty crime and excess You know, it's kind of your typical rise and fall movie, but one of his stars winds up in this movie. And little did we know that film was almost going to be a 
origin story for one of the main characters. Yeah, interesting. And, you know, I didn't know too much about Justin Lin when we started this series. I, of course, knew him from this. And he did the Star Trek Beyond. Other than that, I literally didn't really know too much. So I looked that movie up. And it's funny, you know, just coincidentally... In the last two weeks, as a gift, I got the Roger Ebert documentary, Life Itself. And in the midst of this documentary is an incident that happened at the Sundance Film Festival, where this movie you talk about, Matt, was shown. And a gentleman asked a question to Justin Lin and said, why would you depict Asian culture in this way? You yourself are Asian. Aren't you kind of ashamed of this? And Roger Ebert himself piped up and said, if he was a white filmmaker, you would not ask that about white characters. He can depict them in any way he wants. You know, I, I didn't realize Justin Lin was the guy that Ebert did that too. That's kind of a famous story. But that's how his career pretty much started. Another thing I noticed, there is a Hammer billboard in this, an MC Hammer billboard. <laughs> MC Hammer, in the midst of his bankruptcy, funded Better Luck Tomorrow. So... Lynn kind of wanted to thank him for that by putting him in this movie as well as a kind of an homage. So I don't know. I, the more I learn about this guy, the more I actually kind of like him. And yeah, let's bring some new blood here. Let's let's bring so, uh, a new filmmaker to kind of give another eye to mm-hmm. this thing. So speaking of new blood, let me go to you, Alex. Yeah. When this was coming out, did you think this was a 100% a spinoff? I thought so. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I definitely thought so. And I wasn't all that excited to see it. After Too Fast, Too Furious, you can go back and, and listen to our review. It's more just like a, we're just kicking the shit out of the film. I don't know if it was much of a review. but <laughs> yeah. um, it, was a, it was the cinematic equivalent of a drive-by. There we go. There we go. Yeah, we've got to keep with the driving vernacular. You know, I was not looking forward to this because of how bad Too Fast, Too Furious was. And the fact that the second movie didn't have Vin Diesel in it, that was already kind of a strike against it and now we don't even have paul walker not that you need a paul walker but you need some kind of connection to the previous two movies and there wasn't one so i just wound up seeing this just once you know and this was my second rewatch or or my rewatch of it but uh the fact that there there was nobody recognizable from the original cast i was like yeah this is a spinoff i'm not really with it and i don't even remember if this was a theater watch don't remember but well you wouldn't have been the only person who stayed away from theaters in this this thing yeah. made about 62 million dollars stateside yeah apparently yeah and it's the least money maker of the series so amazing that they brought this guy back justin mm-hmm. lynn after this failure at the box office well we can talk about whether or not the box office returns were even the fault of the director because let's be honest mm-hmm. you look at this cast list not a lot of mainstream appeal no whatsoever and unlike wow, wow. The- <laughs> yeah well, oh, let, let, we'll we'll get to Bow Wow <laughs> very very soon, sir. Just just you wait. Keep keep your clutch steady. We'll get to it there eventually. We go. But they were kind of in a corner because they couldn't get Vin Diesel. They couldn't get Paul Walker. So the powers that be kind of said, let's make it a spinoff, but not enough to where we couldn't reinsert it back into the other movies, which we'll definitely talk about very very soon. But they also made the decision, let's really go with making racing and quote-unquote drifting the actual focal point of the movie. There's no heist component, no guys going undercover. Yeah, yeah. It's Structurally, it's like an 80s sports movie in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. You know, we've, we talked about, Matt, that in our last Too Fast, Too Furious retro, that those first two movies really seem dated. I mean, not even just for early aughts. They seem like 90s movies. And this film 
definitely seems like a 90s movie. And when you bring up like, a, you know, it's a high school movie or a college movie, it screams of that, especially, you know, from the start all the way to the end. It has its pedal to the metal as far as that goes. But let's also remember that unlike the first two movies, mm-hmm. I believe this is the first one in the series to have only one sole credited writer, mm. Mr. Chris Morgan, who has gone on to write every film after this except for number eight. But he worked on all the other ones. He worked on... Oh, he did work on the eighth one. I'm so sorry. So he's worked on all of them after this. He's kind of one of the mainstays. But this was kind of how he got his foot in the door with Hollywood. This was his first big script. Before this, he did a little movie called Cellular with Jason Statham and Chris Evans. Not a good way to start your career. No, that's a bad film. But they took it, and unfortunately, the audiences... They didn't respond. You know, we, we talked about this is still the lowest grossing of the series. Mm-hmm. It's not looked upon very well. Like when you look at all the outside of L.A. hipsters fucking love this movie. I, I know quite a few of them. You will <laughs> not find a whole lot of people who rank this film very close to the top of this list. And Garrett's like, oh, they all suck. What is the ranking matter? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, this is like you said, Chris Morgan's first stab at the franchise. And I think it shows. I think this movie is very different than the previous two outings. Mm -hmm. They could have called this movie the Fast and Furious Pit Stop because it was like nobody gave a shit. Or you could have called it the Fast and Furious Stay in the Garage because I think after this, a lot of people were like, oh, this series is done. Mm -hmm. Is that warranted for the quality of the movie or was it because of a variety of factors like star power and competition? Like, let's see, 2006. Off the top of my head, the only big summer movie I could think of, because this was a June release, would be, I know we had Mission Impossible 3, the second Pirates of the Caribbean movie, which made a shitload of money. Mm -hmm. Casino Royale was this year, but that wasn't until November. So I'm not sure if lack of competition was a factor. Yeah, and both of those I saw in theaters. I didn't, obviously, I didn't see this one in theaters. So yeah, I didn't see this in theaters either. But Garrett, let me ask you. You touched on the the last show that you were actually morbidly curious about this movie because it seemed like they were going in a different direction. When was the last time you watched this before I made you, basically? (laughs) Before you held the gun to my head and said, pull the clutch and fucking watch this goddamn movie. Yeah, The last time I watched this was way back in 2015. And the majority of them are blurs. And this one was a blur. I didn't remember hardly anything. The only thing I remembered was the character of Han. So I came in very, very cold on this, as I am the majority of these films. But again, I was so curious. We have a new director. We have a new cast. Same title, but we have a different story. How would that work? And so I actually walked into this after, God, this the painful schlock that were the last two films. Let's see what Justin Lin can bring to this. I'm not morbidly curious. I'm more curious. All right, Alex, it's time to find out if the third time is going to be the charm for our third co-host. All right. So we open not in the usual setting of these movies. You know, we've kind of gone back to the West Coast, but this is Arizona. And we're introduced to 17-year-old high school student Sean Boswell, played by Lucas Black, who is going to be the protagonist of this movie. Mr. Black, really, he got his big break in Sling Blade about 10 years before this. And he's really good in that movie. And then the more stuff you watch him in, you're like, oh, that's all he can do. (laughs) He's got a very limited range, and I hate to be so negative right off off the beaten path, but I miss Paul Walker. That's how bad I think. Oh God, you can't. I think he is in this movie. Like he is. You can't be serious. He is (laughs) god awful in this movie. 
that southern drawl, everything no, is... No, no, no. Let me, let me get to that southern drawl. You know, unless your name is a combination of the words Matthew or McConaughey, this kind of accent is not in one of these types of movies unless it takes place in the south. Okay? I found it kind of refreshing. We have this guy with this southern accent in this new world being taken in. And I had no problems with this guy's range. That limbo bar is... I have a Dotson. That Dotson can walk under the limbo bar of Paul Walker's acting. This guy clears it, I think. He doesn't... It's not a high bar to clear, but he does. I like him way better than Paul Walker. All right. Break the tie, Mr. Moreno. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, I mean, I think... I don't know... I mean, is is a White Castle burger better than a McDonald's burger? You know what I mean? Like they're like burgers are <laughs> no, because White Castle gives you the shits. That's a really good point. I, you know, the accent did bother me at first because it was so it just not what we're used to hearing in this franchise, and it just comes out of left field. But I, I think it kind of works. You know, once he goes to Japan, I, th- I think kind of works. They call him a cowboy, and like he's. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, the stereotypical American to these guys. So I don't think he's the best actor, but he's definitely better than Paul Walker. My issue, it's a couple things. One is Paul Walker, I at least bought being a relatively green cop. I don't buy Lucas Black as a high school student whatsoever. That hairline, he looks so much older <laughs> than everyone else in the school. Although there's someone else that looks like he should be on an NFL field. But the fish out of water stuff when he goes to Japan, mm-hmm. I think he's helped by the fact that much like the first couple films, the supporting characters carry a lot of the intrigue that he lacks. But for this opening 15 minutes or so before he gets to Japan, I find him unbearable. I was also confused at his age. Like, I couldn't tell if this was a yeah, high school that we were at or a college. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually thought... Both of those ideas were pretty bad, and I, I think it's – to make him a high school stu- – I don't know why you have to make him a high school student. I don't, I don't know why these guys are a high school age. Well, the metrics of this high school are ridiculous. Like they have metal detectors outside. <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah. And this is Arizona, and I love how the mascot guy is getting beaten down with the metal detector. Yeah. You know, we see Sean is into cars because he's doing some auto mechanic work in what I assume to be shop class. But we're not sure if he's a good guy or not because we see a bunch of other kids bullying this other fat kid. And rather than go in there and beat the shit out of him with a wrench, which the movie kind of teases, he just walks out the door. So we're not really sure if we're supposed to like this guy or not. Mm-hmm. But speaking of not liking, Sean's leaving school one day. And he makes a pass at this girl when he's in the car. She goes, oh, awesome. Compliments his ride. And of course, her jock boyfriend, who I did not realize was one of the kids from Home Improvement. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I don't know which one because I've never watched the show, but I saw his name come up in the credits. Mm -hmm. And and this guy, you know, he's a football player, but he must be an MLB pitcher as well because he throws that baseball through the back of Sean's windshield. (laughs) Oh, the kid's got an arm. Enough to where – He's got an arm on him. (laughs) Enough to where it apparently bounces and comes out the other side. We clearly see it hit his dashboard, (laughs) but then it falls out the back of the car, one of many – death-defying physics stunts that this series will be known for. So I'm glad they're getting it out of the way earlier, everybody. Mm-hmm. But speaking of ridiculous, they get into a little bit of a scuffle. I do like the callback to Dom Toretto where he picks up the wrench because we know that's why Toretto went to prison. I, I like that neat uh, little parallel. Oh, that. yeah, I didn't catch that either. You know, and Justin Lin, I think his direction here is the best of the three so far. Oh, by far. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not even close. Like I'm going to compliment a lot of the direction in this movie, but mm-hmm. they are directed to, because they're high school kids, they got to settle things on the road, but not in a street race. 
they go to a real estate complex that is still in the works with the prize. If you thought the first two movies were patronizing towards women, this one, she's literally an object. Self-proclaimed object. The winner gets me. I love that, though. Yeah. They call yeah. it out. <laughs> they yeah. do. I, I, I found that kind of refreshing, actually. Oh, yeah. This movie, the second one tries to be funny and self-reflective, but it kind of fails. This one, I think, does a better job at poking fun at itself and really I, poking fun at the male gazing, like dude bros of the first mm-hmm. two movies. I totally agree with you. It's like everything, love how, everything that we wanted from the first two movies, they just kind of nail here. And much like the second film, we're opening up with a race where they go to this real estate complex and we get a pretty fucking awesome car chase here. I yeah, love this race. So do I. I love this opening. It's something different. You know, this is like a developmental housing. I love the visuals of it. I love the end of it with the fucking Tabasco sauce in front of his face. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That just is such a great character trait that you believe that this guy would have that sitting in this fucking car. <laughs> this is the kind of stuff I was looking for in this series. I really enjoy in the beginning here what Justin Lin is bringing to this. Yeah, and, and this one's just sheer fun. They're going yeah. in and out. Although car repairs be damned because he drives through an entire house. And yeah. there is not a single scratch on that fucking car. I mean, but you get still, the... still, it does have <laughs> Ba with the Ba, what, nine years oh, after it was yeah. out? Oh, I was jamming. Which was kind of weird. Yeah, I was jamming. I don't care how long it's been. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I was digging it. And I'm going to say that about this soundtrack. I, I think this soundtrack is the best of the series. Mm-hmm. We're going to hear Barracuda later yeah. on yep. from the same girls who were in uh, Kill Bill. This is a fun soundtrack. And I was so pissed after this was over that I didn't put this on either the intro or the outro of this podcast series. I dug this music a lot. Nice callback to Kill Bill, sir. Keep that in your pocket because there's another one coming yeah. up. Yes, there, there is. is. So I love they intercut Sean's kind of winning the race. and The girl turns to the jock and she's like, I thought you loved me. And he starts driving faster. I'm like, really? You had to wait for her to tell you to drive faster? You don't deserve her. <laughs> it's okay, We got to go back to that, too, because it's such a weird thing because they're together. They're a couple. But she likes Sean, so she's just like, oh, the winner gets me. If that was my chick, I'd just be like, get the fuck out of here. I'll uh-huh. still race this guy, but even if I win, you're not getting in my car. Mm-hmm. He also has an ejector seat. <laughs> just for no reason. <laughs> I'm sure all three of them wish they had ejector seats because they hit a pole head on and Sean goes through like quadruple barrel roll. Mm-hmm. But we see them later on in the police station. They're all totally okay outside of some minor cuts and scratches, which proves my theory. This takes place in an alternate reality where humans are more durable than we are. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And like I said, I didn't remember this movie at all. I thought maybe these two, this guy he races and this girl, were going to follow him to Japan or something. Like you're going to find a convoluted way to bring them there. I'm glad that this is the opening scene and we never see these two again. At least I'm guessing in the next in the next six or seven movies, we don't see these two. Mm. But I, I like that they're here for the intro, and it's basically to introduce our main character. And you know, to, to go back to the first two movies, you know, you're always going to have that opening race, whatever it is. You know, mm-hmm. However you get there, you're going to have that opening race. And I found it really refreshing that it's not over. You know, we mentioned something, I think it was either the last... It was either of the, the, the previous two retros that just because you have the technology to maybe cut corners and to make something look a lot more impressive than it is doesn't mean you have to use it. Just because it's available, mm-hmm. you don't have to use it. And I, I like the more tactile race and the stunts than I do super zooming into the engine system. Yeah. Like like in yeah. Fast 2 or, or Too Fast, Too Furious or some of the really quick shots where – 
you're digitally going above and then you're in the car and then you're following this other racer or whatever. There was something really tangible. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll, I'll say that for the whole movie, like all the races feel very real. Can it, almost yeah, well, like in a one, 70s, like, you know, car race. Yeah, thing. I was about to say, yeah, very 70s-ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, this one, Lynn does a lot more exterior shots. Like you really see the choreography of the stunt work that go into these mm-hmm. chases. You know, it, it's not always digitally imposed shots of the actors. Like even when he does the big dive through the house over the little dirt mound it's a wide shot so you can actually see the stunt being done yeah mm-hmm. yeah i love that shot too that's when the real like the heavy part of that song kicks in it, it makes you want to just do like a stone cold steve austin and just break a couple beers open <laughs> yeah <laughs> but speaking of cracking skulls we then cut to sean in the police station and he's being reprimanded by the cops who don't ask me how they recorded this footage because nobody was fucking there Right, <laughs> But we find out that Sean has a bit of a troubled history with cars and he's sort of moved from town to town because apparently that's how the law works in this movie. People don't just go to prison. They relocate. Mm-hmm. It's like literally a get out of jail free card. But mm-hmm. mom shows up and she's kind of pleading with the cops. It's like, is there anything else you guys can do? Don't send him to juvie. And it turns out that the only other option is for him to go to live with his father in Tokyo. So we see... Luke, uh, sorry, Sean, get on a plane. I might as well just call Lucas because, <laughs> like, much like there, there's no character to this guy. Like he, Lucas Black, I don't get the sense he's acting. I'll say this: I am liking the setup. I like that this is a kid whose last resort is staying in his dad's broom closet, and as he walks up, his right. dad has an Asian fucking honey just coming out of his little trailer. This setup I'm liking a lot more. Look, I had no memory of this. I'm watching this, and I'm getting into these characters, which is not mm-hmm. something I could say about the last couple films. Last couple films were painful, boys. I'm watching this, and I'm digging the setup. I'm digging what I'm seeing so far. Yeah, I mean, the first one is so overly serious. It takes itself way too seriously, even from the outset. Yeah. The second movie doesn't even know what the fuck it wants to be. I'm with you, Garrett. I I appreciate that this film seems to know what it wants to do and where it wants to go. And a lot of the hype behind this was it was the black sheep of the fucking franchise. Yeah. Nobody likes this series. I just posted before, as we were getting started, that we were watching this series, and somebody went underneath, oh, it's the worst of the series. So I knew that reputation coming in, but I'm watching this, I'm like, God, I'm already liking this way more. Yeah. I think this is something actually that Mm -hmm. the Karate Kid remake really failed at, where it's that fish out of water. Yeah. I think this does it remarkably well. That's a good, um, yeah, you know, a, a lot of credit person. goes to Justin Lin. No, Garrett, I was thinking of, you know, when Wolverine goes to Japan and he's driving Yeah, I was through. thinking of that, too. Uh-huh. Um, especially since you know, especially since one of the guys we're going to see later was in that movie. So I, yes. I Oh, the guy you well. thought was Johnny Trade, you racist son of a yeah. bitch. <laughs> <laughs> that guy. <laughs> Alex, we can't let him live that down until that series is done. Until the series is done. Never. Just, just I knew I should have taken that out. <laughs> <laughs> Alex puts it in the recap and you guys are just <laughs> referencing the goddamn thing. Fucking assholes. Speaking of assholes, Luke, uh, Sean, I'm going to keep doing that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Sean shows up to his father's Sheraton, basically. It's clearly a house meant for a single guy because mm-hmm. he's like, all right, uh-huh. I'm only doing this because I promised your mom you take the bedroom. So you think it's going to be like an actual like you know guest room, but then you cut. It's uh-huh. like a, I think Harry Potter had more space than this yes, guy does. <laughs> <laughs> so he wakes up the next day. 
And his father leaves him a note and a school uniform, which I, I find that hysterical because this is clearly a guy pushing 25, 30 who's still going to fucking yeah. high school in a uniform. Mm-hmm. Oh, God damn it, Matt. That goes on in every single one of these movies. Every oh, single I one know. of these, you have 25, 30 year olds playing high schoolers. It's not about their age. It's about how they look for the part. Mm-hmm. And, and once you get past that, I'm fine with that. I love how his father's note says train to school leaves at 700. But there's a lot of trains in Japan. <laughs> like Japan is one of the most impossible places to navigate for an outsider, especially because it's a foreign language. You know, he has no idea where he's going, but he manages to get to school, but he runs a little bit behind and he's so unaccustomed that when he shows up to the teacher, she's greeting him in Japanese, but then she freaks out when he's wearing shoes still. Cause I, I guess that's a, that's a customs thing where you have to wear like, I don't know. They're almost like what janitors wear. They're like slip ons. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, does a good job of, you know, setting up. This is, almost like an alien world for this guy. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we realized that he really can't speak much of in the way of Japanese, which would have been too bit. lazy. Would have been yeah. too lazy though. That's like, Oh, this guy knows Japanese all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, I like exactly. Yeah. Which, you know, I was thinking about that where, I, I mean, God damn, you're going to a foreign land and you're having to speak the language. I, I was watching this like, God, that must, how do you go through life like that? Like, how do you go to school and not understand what the teacher's trying to tell you? But you're right, Matt. He does have a little bit of comprehension of it. And he's a remarkable learner, too. I mean, the guy's such yeah. a quick learner. I mean, he's so fluent by the end of this film, too. <laughs> he just picks it up like that, you know, yeah. just like drifting. He's, he's a, yeah, he's a linguist. <laughs> um, you know, some people, well, no, I'm serious. Some people can just pick it up easier than others, but he goes to his first lunch and it's all like foreign to him as well. And he sits down and we're introduced to Twinkie, not a food that is being served at this cafeteria. It's his contacts slash BFF for this movie played by the aforementioned Bow Wow, who Mm -hmm. I knew growing up from, he had done some TV work. He did a little movie called like Mike when I was growing up. Yep. A movie that my brother used to watch incessantly. (laughs) Like he, he would watch that on rotate it was insane and the only other thing i know bow wow from is he's literally like i think he's masterpiece kid you know what i'll go ahead and say i think he's pretty likable in this it gives our main character someone to play off of in this foreign country and there's discovering some similar interests when they both talk cars i kind of like him mm-hmm. you get that cool scene afterwards where he's like showing them that <laughs> fucking bizarre parking garage where it's it like has a vending machine. Yeah, it's a vending like a vending machine of cars. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And it's just rotating like a Ferris wheel. And you see all these like really great cars. And then you see his. And he's like less than impressed by it. Yeah. Well, before that, you know, he's saying like, what do you need? You want Jordans before they even come out? You want an iPod, cell phone? He's like, nope, I'm cool, man. And he sees something to do with cars. I can't remember exactly what he shows him. He has a steering wheel attached or like tied to his backpack. Yeah. Oh, that's right. It's like, show me where that came from. Mm-hmm. And he goes to the, you know, I think Twinkie's sort of a combination of Tej and Roman from the last movie, where, you know, yeah. he's the guy who knows all the right things, but his mouth gets him into trouble. Yeah, and I, I agree with Garrett. He's a, he's a likable presence, much more than I was expecting, because of all the Fast and Furious films, this is the one I've seen the least. Yeah, yeah uh, unlike he's, Roman, he, I can actually tolerate this guy when he's on screen. Too. I was just <laughs> going to say that. Yeah, I was just going to say yeah. that. He he's, he's charismatic in the way Taj is charismatic, not in the way Roman is. Yeah. It's that rat bloodline, him and Ludacris. It must be. Yeah, all, something, all you gotta, yeah, something there. All you got to do is drop a flow and, you, you know, you have screen <laughs> presence, apparently. Although somebody should tell that to Coolio because it hasn't worked out for him. Well, he shouldn't <laughs> stop trying. That's my 
Tucson. A for effort, F for no fucking way. So he shows him his car, which is this incredible Hulk Volkswagen, which I think at first you think it's dented to shit when you first see the back. Mm-hmm. You're like, what the fuck is that? But then you realize it's green and it's, oh, it's all themed. And Justin Lin is a huge fan of that Bill Bixby TV series. So he wanted to put a little bit of an homage to it. And yeah. It was, oh, is that it was where that comes cool. from? Nice. No, it's not from the show. But what I'm saying is he wanted yeah. to pay homage. Oh, yeah. No, you want to yeah, wanted to pay tribute to it. Yeah. For sure. Oh, of course. Alex is Lou Ferrigno's car. <laughs> <laughs> so Twinkie takes Lucas or Sean. God fucking damn it. I, I keep thinking his name is Sean Black or Lucas Boswell. <laughs> Boswell. Well, that's his last name. Sean Boswell is his character. Oh, is it? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I think it's only mentioned like once in this movie. So. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he takes him to this um, what we think is a street race, but it's a little bit more elaborate. Where the whole point is what they call drifting, where there is a speed race component, but you have to be able to make these really oversteer turns where you have no traction but you still got to be able to make these tight corners. So I like how this movie is presenting an actual objective, something you have to learn to be successful. Yes. In the and it actually makes sense yeah. for where they are. And, you know, on the tiny island, there's not a lot of, it's not a lot of acreage there to have like long straightaways or whatever. So like when you're on this like city grid in Tokyo where they are, you know, there's going to be a lot of turns. There's going to be a lot of people. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things that I appreciated in, the, in this one, because that's, you know, it's become an ongoing joke over the last couple of movies that when they do street race, there's nobody around. But there's actually uh-huh. a couple of scenes in this where there's tons of people around and that they actually have to drift in order to like navigate around people and stuff like that. Yeah. So I yeah. actually like I, 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 I love that there's an actual move that is basically a necessity for street racing. Yeah, and you know what, Matt, you mentioned Karate Kid earlier. I mean, come on, both Daniel and Jaden Smith in those movies had to learn a new technique in order to win. And this is Mm -hmm. exactly what this is. Yeah. And uh, I was thinking about it in those terms, and I was really digging this. Yeah, there's an objective. Uh, In the first film, we already know that Brian's good at street racing. There's really not a lot of skill that he has to learn. He already possesses it. And, you know, I have to give this movie credit. They really commit to making the racing first and foremost. That's the mm-hmm. crux of this movie. But it wouldn't be a Fast and Furious movie crux without a hot piece of ass for him to pine after. Yep. And I say that as a gay man, but God, this woman is very attractive. Oh, yeah. And you know what? This scene of him meeting this girl and the Tokyo gang and him getting involved in this has sprung something in me, boys. What have I been crowing about for three straight podcasts? I don't want a convoluted story revolving around a gang stealing Panasonic TVs and some undercover cop sense of throttle. I want a simple story about a guy who gets mixed up in street racing while trying to impress this girl. This mm-hmm. movie gives it to me. And I was really like, oh, God, I'm finally getting what I was asking for for three straight movies. And you need to introduce the girl component. He's got to impress her. Boom. Here's our movie. And I'm really into the story a lot. Speaking of the things you pine for, Garrett, the guy that you thought was Johnny Tran shows up. <laughs> <laughs> so we're introduced to Takashi, who's our bully of the movie played by uh, Brian T who as Garrett mentioned was in the Wolverine he was the guy that Logan threw out of the window how'd you know there was a pool down there I didn't mm. yeah he was also the shredder in the Ninja, one of the Ninja Turtle movies but yeah he shows up and Bow Wow Twinkie's telling him dude he's Yakuza back off but one thing we know about Sean I got it right this time finally is that he go. doesn't back down from anybody and unfortunately his insults are a little bit dated when he compares him to the Asian Justin Timberlake <laughs> Yeah, that was that did date this immediately. Yeah, I didn't did. think about the age when Ba with the Ba came on because Ba with the Ba was eight years before this movie. <laughs> yeah, but I was just gonna say it dated it as much as yeah. the Kid Rock song did. Yeah, as soon as he said that though, I'm like, oh, here we go. Oof. Now we're aged. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
now we got you know very simplistic dynamic. You got kid wants girl, has to beat this other guy somehow, and he challenges him to a race, and he's like, "You don't even have a car." And we're introduced to this other guy who says, "Hey, take mine." He throws him his keys. Um, the character Rusty. Sorry, his name's Han. I call him Rusty because this is a reference yes. to Brad Pitt's character in Ocean's Eleven. Who's it's always eating. All I thought about. Oh wow! It's all I thought about. Matt was like, "I'm like, this is Brad Pitt in fucking Oceans." Every scene, he's eating something. Yeah, well, wow. that actually comes from the actor, not only because he loved Brad Pitt in the Oceans movies, but as an ex-smoker, you want something in your hands that's not a cigarette. So, mm-hmm. like, he's like, why don't I just eat every scene in this never-ending bag of potato chips? And one thing I heard about this character, and I saw Lynn and this actor who plays on both talk about it. This character is the same exact character he played in Better Luck Tomorrow. Yes, he, it is. Oh, really? It's a continuation. Now it makes me want to watch that movie because I like Han a lot in this. I remember, yeah, I do remember seeing Better Luck Tomorrow during that whole time because Justin Lin was, this is the new voice and blah, 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 you know, and it's late 90s, early 2000s. So it's the dawn of independent voices and whatnot. So I was like, I'll check it out. And I, I remember really enjoying it. I think you'll like it, Gary. Mm, but yeah, Gary, you're right. Han is one of the best series characters that this franchise has. Yeah. Like, I think he, he's great. He oozes cool, mm-hmm. but it's seamless. It doesn't seem like he's trying to be cool. He just is. Yeah, it's like effortless. I'd lose my cool if someone dented my car the way he embarrasses himself in this race. Because <laughs> this car, you know, he races Takashi and... Takashi, they call him DK. No, not Donkey Kong. Drift King. <laughs> right. That. He's the Drift Love King. <laughs> because he's, he, as we see, he is the Michael Jordan of drifting. He does it perfectly seamless. And Sean, first time he does it, he bashes into a wall. And the first thing they do is cut the haunt. Yeah. Two things that I really like about this. Well, there's a couple of things I like about this scene. One, I love that it takes place in a parking garage. And that drifting is, like, you can't race in a parking garage unless you know how to drift. I love that the audience, they all take the elevators up to the top floor, to the roof, to see the finale. I love that Sean slash Lucas, or Lucas slash Sean, whatever you want to do, Matt. I love that he, you know, we're we're talking about how he he needs to learn how to drift, and he just beats the ever-loving shit out of this car. I mean, he does not get close to drifting at all. And I, I love this frustration, right? Because then we get scenes later where he's practicing or whatever. On the on the, he gets uh, his rocky montages. Yeah, and as we all know, I'm a sucker for a montage. Yes. You Lastly, are. I love that Tokyo is very progressive, and that the countdown girl is now a countdown boy. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be good, man. I right? also yeah, all, everything I was looking for in those first two movies, like schoolgirl uniforms and such mm-hmm. like that, Lynn gives it to us in spades in this movie. Another thing I liked about it, too, was that it took place at night. I thought yes. that was a nice touch. All the lights are shining on the cars, and it's a very nice-looking set of shots. And, you know, you would think shooting in a parking garage would be limiting, but Lynn knows how to shoot these. He's, he yeah. does a really good job of keeping that camera rotating and making things interesting. You may like that it was shot at night, Garrett, but I'm pretty sure... Sean would have liked another time because when he gets home after being embarrassed, father's waiting there for him saying, where the fuck were you? I like how the movie doesn't wait to get to this point. It's literally the first night he's there. He goes out and tries to race, mm-hmm. you know, and they set the stakes where he's like, you know, you live under my house. You know, you got to abide by my rules. So, yeah, the movie doesn't waste any time. You see him kind of try to integrate himself in with the school and such and him going to school in that uniform and being, like you said, mad with a fish out of water. They do it a little bit, but not enough that it drags. And come on, we know the attention span of the people who watch these movies. They want these races and they want them yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. They don't want this guy trying to reform himself from racing 
even though he's away from his mom and this is his last resort. We want to see this kid race, and they give it to us. It doesn't drag, Garrett. It drifts. Ooh, I like that. I like it. So Sean wakes up the next day, and he's on his way to school, but he notices Hans waiting for him in a car across the street. You realize, or at least you think, he's going to get the shit beaten out of him, or he's going to have to make amends somehow. And he kind of does, but Hans cool about it. He says, hey, shut up, get in the car. I'm going to take you to this bathhouse, and you have to get something from this guy with a paw. And this is his way of being a cryptic asshole because when he walks in, the first guy you see with the paw tattoo is this giant sumo wrestler who apparently yeah. beats the shit out of Sean and just throws him out of the bathhouse. Yeah. Now, Garrett, you did mention that this movie does a good job of using bystanders during the races. The only shot where they're driving and there's no one in their lane of traffic is when Han and Sean are driving in the, in the car later after this. Because they're driving on the highway and there's mm -hmm. no cars in that section. But they keep it consistent. Han tells him, you got to do some jobs for me to basically pay me back, pay it forward. Sean's like, you're going to teach me how to drift, right? He's like, no, it's not a negotiation. Which I like. Like, Han's just, he could have easily, like, you know, beaten the shit out of money. But no, he's going to make this guy work for it in a way that benefits him, too. But mm -hmm. I, I like what Sean's response to that, too, was. He's like, it's not negotiation. I wasn't asking. He's like, I wasn't I asking. I wasn't asking. <laughs> yeah, and they, you know, a little bit of mutual respect there. So Han takes him to the headquarters of Takashi, who's sort of running his own. It's not entirely clear what exactly they're doing, but it's some kind of black market dealing, and he pays a certain percentage back to his uncle, mm -hmm. who's the head of the Yakuza. Yeah, and when I first saw this character who you guys keep reaming me for thinking was somebody else, uh, <laughs> when I first saw that this character was involved in this crime ring, I'm thinking, oh God, here we go. This guy who looks like he's barely in high school is running this huge crime ring. No, he's kind of like on the low end. You know, he's, mm -hmm. he's doing a lot of these rings on, on the high school level. And I like that, you know, that he's grounded. He's, he's not like a, the main head. This isn't who Sean's going to be against. He's just going to be against this ring and this guy who's on the low end of this crime ring. I thought that was refreshing. Yeah, it's the Fredo mentality where it's like you only have yeah. a job because you're related. To yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Han and Sean kind of bond a little bit. He takes him back to his garage where he tells him, this red car is for you. He's like, how else are you going to pay me back? So he's nice enough to give him his own car. Yeah, and this is also when Han tells him that there's no wax on, wax off when it comes to drifting. Like, <laughs> they call out. They yeah. know that we know that this is this has karate kick connotations to it, and that was pretty clever. Probably the most clever and smartest thing said in the last few movies. Probably. <laughs> the, or yeah, the most self-aware. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Speaking of self-awareness, this wouldn't be a people in Japan karate kid style movie if someone wasn't getting the shit beaten out of them in a schoolyard. They're all running outside, and Twinkie's getting the shit beaten out of him by one of Takashi's guys for selling him a broken iPod. Yeah. I guess he did not like Mike in this scenario. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. So Twinkie kind of gets up. He's like, hey, I don't need you to fight my battles and stuff. And, and I like this. You know, these characters are, they're independent, but when they need help, they know, like, you know, action without words. Yeah, and I, and I do like that, you know, Sean thinks he's doing the good thing, right? He's like, oh, here, just take mine. And, <laughs> you know, Twink's like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do like that, you know, Sean thinks he's doing the right thing, but he's actually just digging a bigger hole for him. But still, you see that they're, like you said, Matt, they're out to help each other. So we're about halfway through 
maybe a little bit less. So, Garrett, I take it you like this movie considerably more than the first two at this point. Oh, God. Yeah, I, surprisingly. I gotta say, I'm having fun with the Fast and Furious movie. Again, like I said, we don't have a convoluted story here. We have somebody who gets stuck in and he's got to dig his way out. This isn't somebody who's got to answer to his superiors. Yeah, he answers to his dad, but this is a story that I was looking for the entire time, and I'm digging it. Yeah, and also because it's so self-aware. I mean, there's a way yeah. to finesse the kind of self-awareness. Like, we know we're making a car movie, but it doesn't need to be stupid to be a car movie. Like, you could actually put some thought into the script and into mm-hmm. the direction to make it a little bit more appetizing, especially after those first two. Well, I think the thing, the advantage that this movie has is that they could really start from scratch in a way and really do their own thing. Like, yeah. this is... Tonally, it's a, very different from the first two. Obviously, the, the setting is totally different, and the crux of the story is very different. So having that freedom, I think, is why this movie feels so fresh, even though it's a glorified direct-to-video movie in certain ways. Yeah, in that. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and I was shocked that we don't have Vin Diesel. We don't have Paul Walker. This is something that I would think would go straight to video, you know, when, mm-hmm. when you don't have the two big stars. But even with this new cast, they got this out and they found a way to freshen it up. And that's exactly what I was asking for last week, where Matt, you asked, are you dreading that, you know, we're going to have something totally different? I'm like, no, bring it. And this is what I was hoping for. You know, that's got to say something too, Garrett, because usually a franchise gets a shot in the arm after what, like four or five entries? I mean, yeah. we- you just put it perfectly. I mean, after the second entry, you're like, no, this needs a fucking shot in the arm. We need to refresh yeah. this series. We need a we need to update it somehow. So Lucas and Han get a little bit closer. You know, it's it's no longer just a business relationship. Han tells him, I was sort of like the you always talk about cowboys crossing the border. Japan's my Mexico. So we're getting a little bit of backstory, but he's still cryptic enough to be interesting. Mm-hmm. And he starts to teach him how to drift. And we get our first Rocky montage where they go to this dock. <laughs> Yeah. And there's these two old fishermen that just keep talking shit. They're they're that the Asian great. Statler and Waldorf sitting in the balcony. <laughs> that was great. Like I thought of the two people who were cleaning the field in Major League. You know, every time a game oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. a game passes by, they're always like, they're still shitty. They're still like, shitty. These, yeah. two, <laughs> these two assholes were like, they're there to criticize. It's the only reason they're there. But I also love how Han never really teaches him how to drift. He just keeps going again, again. Yep. You know, it's the Mr. Miyagi thing where you have to make him suffer a bit. Go paint my fence and shit before I teach you anything. <laughs> so eventually, you know, he gets a little bit better at drifting. One criticism I do have is it's not clear how much time has passed. Is this something he mm-hmm. did in the span of a weekend or? Yeah, yeah. But anyway, once he gets good enough, he finally gets into a race with Kashi's number one guy. This guy's got a name. I think it's Morimoto. That's the guy's name. So they get into a race. And he he beats him and sort of his, hey, I can actually do this. And it's enough to where he gets a date with Neela. And they sort of realize they're both kind of military brats in a way. You know, she's got a backstory where she was taken in by Takashi's family because her mother was basically the equivalent of a prostitute almost. I think this is where the cliches start to hurt it a little bit with their dinner conversation. I think it's a bit too soap opery, even for this franchise. And God knows it's going to become even more of a glorified soap opera. But this doesn't quite gel for me with the overall fun vibe that this movie has. Yeah, we had such great momentum leading up to it. And then, you know, we get some of these uh, kind of slower tempo scenes. You know, they're getting to know each other. But I, I really don't care about that. You know, let's keep moving. I, it, it is good that, you know, she's she's not just a random girl. 
she's, you know, the his rival's girlfriend. So it still ties into the main story, the main characters and everything, but I think it's I think it's too slow. I could have did without it. Question, guys. We've seen this girl in the background, and this is the girl who obviously Sean has gotten a real thing for. How would you explain her backstory? Or would you not even explain her backstory? Just have her be in the background and have her be the trophy who's won at the end of the race. Is this something that, yeah, it's a cliche, but come on, Matt, how many movies have we reviewed where everything's a cliche, but they do it well? How would you have handled this character? I don't know, because then you're asking me to rewrite the movie. But also, if you're Sean, you know nothing good is going to come out of this relationship. Mm -hmm. I think this character makes some pretty dumb decisions throughout this movie. He's not quite on the idiot scale of a a character who makes dumb decisions. Anyone who goes to Camp Crystal Lake. But, like, you know she's the girlfriend of the Yakuza underling. And if he finds out, he's probably going to beat the shit out of you. So what benefit are you getting out of this? Because I'm not even sure you two are fucking. You know, to answer your question, Garrett, I think the way that they could kind of bypass those slower moments and still get that backstory across is for the two of them to be in the car together, driving down the street at a high rate of speed, and he just looks at her, much like Brian did in Too Fast, Too Furious. (laughs) It took me a little bit because I wanted to put that out of my mind, but there you fucking go. You fucking prick. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. Jesus Christ. I, but, you know, he, he's go. not going to look at her and say, let me take you home. Because, I mean, come on. He's going to go to that broom closet that his dad has all set up for yeah, him. Right, you yeah. know? Why not? I'm sure that's how Harry Potter picked up chicks in elementary school. Not only do we find out her whole backstory, we find out she also knows how to drift, which makes sense given who she's banging. We, we assume she's banging. And it's also important to go to these mountains to set up the climax of the movie. Yeah, Lynn, Lynn's got something going here. He's setting things up so much better than what we've seen in the last couple of movies. And what I also like, too, is we've had three different cultures do this. We've had Rob Cohen come in. We've had John Singleton come in, bring the urban flavor to the movie. And now we have Justin Lin, who we're literally going to Tokyo for this. It's a different feeling movie. It's a different flavor to this series. But it's something that I'm digging. I like that he's setting all these shots up and all this climax up by going here and showing it to us beforehand. I guess you can call it Chekhov's Cliff. (laughs) Yeah, I got to agree. And the way he shoots the cliff, you're seeing some beautiful countryside and Uh some of the establishing shots are great. I mean, this is it's different. It's different than the previous two entries. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much more we can say it. It probably sounds redundant at this point, but you're absolutely right, Alex. But I was not expecting to have this good a time with this different feeling of a movie. I think maybe it's just the fact that Justin Lin sees you know, an opportunity here and is just throwing mm-hmm. everything into it and actually gives a shit. You know who didn't have a good time the next day? Sean, because Takashi shows up as you would expect and beats the living shit out of him. Oh God, he beat the fuck Yeah, he out. really does. <laughs> and he beats him up in a very tough guy sort of way. Even though he's Yakuza, he's not doing martial arts. It's street brawling. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to punch you until you bleed. So Matt, which fight's better? This one or the one that Roman and Brian get into in Too Fast, Too Furious? <laughs> Well, this one actually draws blood, so this one, like like those other two guys just wrestle on the ground and nobody has a scratch. That's so much better. So with his dignity basically broken along with most likely his jaw, he tells him, the next time I see you, you'll be driving a wheelchair. Good line. Yeah. So Sean eventually finds himself living in Han's garage because his dad kicks him out. I like that we don't watch that blow-up scene where his dad kicks him out. Me too. It's just implied. But speaking of implications, we knew Takashi's uncle was going to show up at some point. Yes. And we cut to 
someone getting out of a limo. And no, it's not Vince McMahon. It's Sony Chief fresh off a of Kill Bill a couple of years prior. Yeah, I, I did not know he was in this. And I and apparently, Justin Lin had to do a lot of convincing to get him to do this movie. Oh, really? Because uh, Sonny Shiba pretty much thought this was beneath him. He did not want to do this. And Justin Lin, I don't know how he sweet-talked him into it, but got some good producing skills here because he got him here. And I, I mean, come on. It does lend a little bit of a authenticity, I guess yeah, you can yeah. say. You know, yeah, for sure. Yeah, legitimacy. That's what I was looking for. He brings a real gravitas to this. I mean, I don't know too many of Sonny Chiba's movies, honestly, except what Tarantino has introduced me to. So it's not like I know this guy hand and foot, but I do know that he has a presence and I like that he's here. Yeah, I like how it's almost a reveal that Han is keeping money for himself. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. It's sort of like the first film in a way where it's, you know, your inner circle can wind up betraying you or or the people that you let into your circle Mm -hmm. that you think you know, you actually don't know. So, yeah, it's also a good way to reveal it. It's revealed to Takashi. It's not like... Han was telling Sean, hey, I also got this side thing going where I'm skimming off of whatever business I do with Takashi. Mm-hmm. He tells him, like, you know, he gives him this proverb and he tells him, basically, sort it out before I kick you out, basically. Yep. I like that scene between Takashi and Sonny Chiba here, though. This is what makes the villain go from black and white to gray. Yeah. Because now he's really backed into a corner and now he's doing it not just to get the girl, not just to be the asshole. He's doing it for some really good reasons in his mind and that's what makes a good villain in my eyes so yeah i like this yeah he's got, he's got a good dynamic now where it's like am i gonna have to go beat the shit out of han because if i don't my uncle's probably gonna go kill him exactly mm-hmm. but the situation does escalate when he finally shows up because his whole posse comes along with him throws a couple punches at han and han's like i'm doing what i have to do basically says it took you this long to figure it out that's pretty much what he's saying and then it escalates yeah. into a full-on car chase through the streets of Japan. And it's a miracle that A, they pulled off the stunt choreography as well as they did with the swerving in and out of cars. Yeah. But for 2006, car chases were really not as elaborate as this. They were kind of put on the back burner or they were dominated by CGI. Right. The closest I could think of was that whole crane sequence in Terminator 3, Garrett, where they oh, yeah. were on the highway. Mm-hmm. But, you know, think a lot of the big action franchises like Mission Impossible 3 didn't have a car chase. The later Bond movies brought that back. But even then, they were nowhere near as elaborate as this. So I like that they're going fantastical, but it's not too ridiculous. The ridiculousness is that they don't hit a single pedestrian. I guarantee you there's at least one person who did not have the reflexes of a squirrel and get out of there just in time. You know they would have hit someone. Yeah, but you know what? And we brought this up earlier, but I'll go ahead and say it again. You know, in those other two movies I mentioned, and especially the first one, they had that really elaborate truck chase going with yeah. no fucking traffic whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And the, in Los Angeles, of all fucking places, here, they're weaving in and out of traffic. We have a whole bunch of cool shots. And as you said, Alex, when we had that crowd, he drifts in order to avoid the crowd, and the crowd kind of spreads out. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a really nice set of shots. Yep. yep. Um, there are pedestrians in danger here, and and I love this whole drifting in this crowd. It's it's fucking it's an amazing shot. What's well, not amazing? If you're a Han fan, you're going to be disappointed because he gets killed here. He gets t-boned, and then his car explodes. Yeah, gas leaks and it, and it explodes. And um, the downfall of putting these shows together when I haven't really processed the series since a, a first viewing is it gives me a lot of spoilers, and I know a few things that are coming up. This I knew. I knew Han wasn't really dead. But 
it is a powerful scene to get Sean to where he's going at the end of this movie. So I dig that. This was shocking to me. I didn't remember that he actually died in this movie, quote unquote. We're supposed to think that he died. I was not expecting this. I thought Han was here through the long haul. Well, Alex, let's be perfectly honest, not to get too far ahead. We still don't know if he's fully 100% back based on the trailers for Night. Yeah. I am not above this franchise introducing cloning. <laughs> I never considered I, I it get, until I now. I'm serious. I never considered uh, it to now, and now it absolutely has to be considered. Uh, it did. Oh my <laughs> it's either clones, <laughs> Terminators. Yeah. I I think they got some splaining to do. Um. Yeah, they, they really – oh, man. Because I, I completely either forgot or didn't know how fucked up the chronology gets after this movie. Cause it, uh, I, well, I think yeah, that, this movie is a real transition for the entire franchise. Yeah, I, I think they realize how great – Han is as a character for this franchise and just try to work around him. And I think uh, I'm very curious to see how this plays out because I have a I'm also doing the rewatches and everything and uh, I haven't gotten there yet. But uh, how they handle it just seems so fucking convoluted for one character who's basically just part of he's a secondary character. Yeah, we got a lot to discuss. But for the context of this movie, you know, it's kind of. You know, it raises the stakes a bit, certainly sure. for Sean. It's it's very well done, too. Like, yeah, there's no way he got out of that car. He's dead. Yeah. Foolish me. <laughs> I saw Sean approach the car, and I'm thinking, okay, Sean's going to pull him out. But then the fucking thing explodes, and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, shit. I was not expecting that. Sean takes Neela back to his father's house because he's like, I have nowhere else to go. Takashi follows him there, pulls a gun on him, and then Sean's father pulls a gun on him. So we got a little Mexican standoff, but Takashi sort of retreats. And Sean tells his dad, don't put me back on a plane. I got to go fix my mistakes. Yeah. Um, and it gives the dad something to do other than chastise Sean this entire time and tell him one more time and you're going to jail. Yeah. You know, this yeah. hasn't been much of a character. He's just kind of been the authority ki- figure who's kind of sort of said, yeah, you're, I'm only doing this because your mom's telling me to. Here, mm-hmm. he says, at least you're not making my same mistakes. And it is at this point that he realizes that whatever his son has gotten himself into, sending him to jail isn't a solution to it. He's got to get his way out of it. And so, yeah, this was a nice dimension. I, I like I like this scene. Is that the same scene where the dad's fixing the car? No, that's that, a little bit earlier. That's earlier, right? school that time. Because I was going to say, that's a good little character building scene. You know, they, have a, they kind of have a moment. I feel like Sean's dad met him halfway in a lot of ways. You know, he was showing interest. You know, they were talking about the car. And, you know, it was a, it was a short scene, but it was still a good character-building scene. Yeah, and, and the car that they're working on does play into this climax. Right. So, again, talk about scenes serving the plot. Sean goes back to Twinkie, and Twinkie tells him, you know, you're, you're kind of stupid for doing this, but I have something that Han would have wanted you to have. And he gives him the money that I believe Hans was taking from Takashi mm-hmm. with the intent of he's going to Sunny Chiba to drop it off. We get sort of a offering the Godfather come up. It's basically don't kill me here. Take this. Yeah. And I love how Sonny Chief was not having any of that shit, mm-hmm. but he's sort of intrigued. He's like, all right, how are we going to solve this? So we get, if this really was an eighties movie, it'd be an arm wrestling contest or let's see. <laughs> it would have been a karate fight. It would have been, would have been a boxing match, but nope. It's a street race Damn right. from the top. It's a street race where the loser leaves town. Garrett, it's like a gimmick match in pro wrestling. It really loser is, yeah. Town. Loser leaves town match. <laughs> it's like if WWF and Formula One crossed paths, it'd be this movie. Where's that? Yeah, yeah was, and you know what? <laughs> and when you think about it that way, it really doesn't make any sense that this is going to be solved with a race. 
It makes <laughs> zero literal sense. But this is a Fast and Furious movie. This is how we got to finish. And you're right, Matt. This is the arm wrestling of this movie. <laughs> we have to do it. And so, you know, when I think about it in that terms, yeah, it, I can go with it. But it, literally, this makes zero sense. And that's the first time I've said that in this podcast so far, which is crazy for a Fast and Furious movie. <laughs> we're, in late, we're Yeah, we're just about an hour in. You finally got Yeah. There. I like that it's at night, too. I like that it's at oh, night. Oh, yeah. Of course yeah. it is. You got to think about it. Again, we're on cliffs here. So mm-hmm. there's no real simple way to shoot this. But Lin does find ways. When Takashi falls later and it lands in front of Sean, I thought that was a really nice, clever shot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so he finds ways to make it interesting. But seeing these cars go round and round without any real tricks or anything going on was it could have been redundant, but it, it wasn't. Lin finds a way to make it interesting. So my question, as far as shit that doesn't make sense, how much time does Sonny Chiba give Sean to prepare for this race? Because it's got to be enough time to where he builds that car, you know, right. he furbishes it. He learns some more racing drifting tricks. Would you want a subtitle that tells you the days that go by? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I want a montage. When I want a montage, I want to know how much time has passed. <laughs> I don't have an answer. Alex, do you? <laughs> no, I but I, th- I, I do think I, there should be some kind of subtitle, maybe a narrator. Or Sean worked on his car for two weeks and <laughs> some pan flute yeah. in the background. You know, just See, to, we're we really racist too, Garrett, because we just did terrible Asian stereotypes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love how Sonny Chiba even shows up to the race. Even he's intrigued by by watching this. He's like, "All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go check this shit out." Yeah, yeah. let's see if this white boy can beat the DK. Yeah, and you know what's weird about this too? Every time I associate. Fast and Furious races with the audience, the audience is always younger. Here we have Sonny Sheba and his gang. It makes that ratio of age go up a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. I was not expecting Sonny Sheba to show up at this race. Speaking of unexpected, Luke Sean should have expected that the climax race would take place at Takashi's Master Mountain. Because he that we find out he's the only person to ever make it down successfully. Oh, at least yeah, at full yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, I think this scene is shot remarkably well, but did this give off pod racing vibes with all the people watching at all the different checkpoints having their phones? No, I always think of that. I'm not saying no, that's a bad thing. That's just where my brain went. I did not think of Star Wars once in this entire movie. <laughs> yeah, the oh, non-Star Wars fan thought of Star Wars. I love the disgust in Garrett's voice right now. <laughs> no, I didn't fucking think of Star Wars. Right, I yeah. did, yes. Star Wars, no. Well, Technology wise, hilarious because yeah, know, they all have filming flip on phones. flip phones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's that, fantastic. Like Nokia also, and shit. And, and nobody had that in the opening scene too. None of those kids at the high school uh-huh. had, nope. <laughs> had those phones. Yeah, and how are they streaming it across all their phones? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, this uh, you know it's a great race the way that it's shot, and there's really the road is so narrow that there's really no way you can pass the other guy. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And the camera move, there's a really neat trick where it looks like Sean might tumble over if his car keeps going. But that's exactly what they want you to think because it's all about mm-hmm. depth perception with how far he actually is from the cliff. Because eventually Takashi skids and he falls off the side. And as Sean is driving down, Takashi's about to hit his car from the top. It was about to sandwich, they were about <laughs> to sandwich each other. Yeah. But because it's a movie, he gets out just in the nick of time and wins the race. Well, he drifts around it. Yeah. That's the thing. Because if he didn't learn by Mm -hmm. then, he would have been fucked there. And as a result, Sean's the new drift king. Sonny Chiba comes up to him, doesn't really shake his hand or anything. He just looks at him and walks away, which I like. 
I mean, come on. That fall should have killed him, right? That fall. Oh, oh positive. <laughs> or at least broken his oh, neck. Oh, absolutely. He fell off a fucking cliff in a, yeah. in a, in a car. <laughs> I know. Han died for less. I know. Well, it took the explosion to kill Han. I mean, Two-Face barely fell uh, like two stories in, <laughs> yeah, that, in the dark night and he died. There was a guy fall off a cliff in a car. Oh, I'm perfectly fine. Don't worry. After the race, a little bit of time has passed. They're all enjoying themselves in their garage. Uh, Sean's the new Drift King. I like how we go back to the garage from the first race between him and Takashi. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, mm-hmm. Sean's kind of the new Drift King. Winky comes up to him and says, hey, there's this guy who wants to race the new Drift King. And Sean's like, no, nah, man, that's not for me. And he goes, said he knew Han. And that gives him enough impetus to drive over. You see the back of this muscle car. Lucas, uh, Sean pulls up and it's Dominic fucking Toretto. Vin yes. Diesel, with his tail between his legs, came back to this franchise for a cameo. Well, you say that, but let me let me say something here. Number one, they weren't going to bring him back at all. They were dead set against bringing him back. And what happened was test audiences rebelled against the end of this movie. They didn't want to see this guy become the new Drift King. They wanted something new. So the studio said, we got to do something. So mm-hmm. what they did, and I actually gained a lot of respect for Vin Diesel after I read this. Yeah, totally. He what, didn't come back for a huge payday, which he could have done. I mean, he asked for $25 million in the last movie. Eventually didn't do it because of the script. Here, all he wanted was the rights to the Riddick franchise. And mm-hmm. the studio gave him those rights. This was all for integrity reasons, not a huge payday. That shows at least a little bit of integrity that I wasn't I expecting. From totally that. agree with you, yeah, because I read that too, and I was like, huh, look at that, fucking Vin Diesel. Sticking to a franchise that that he loved, because I know he's a huge fan of Pitch Black. You know, he went on th- with the rest of the Riddick series, so obviously, you know, he wanted to build that up as a like the next big sci-fi franchise. W- willing to take no money just for the rights to develop yeah. that. You know, and it, it turns out it, not a great franchise, but still, like you said, that garrett his integrity to just offer that i think says a lot about his character that doesn't mean i'm not going to rip on him anymore throughout the course of this series oh no sure we're going to tear him to shreds but, we're definitely tearing him to shreds. absolutely <laughs> but in this instance I, I gained a little bit of respect for him yeah for sure and he tells him pawn was family and that's the last thing we see before credits roll on fast and furious 3 tokyo drift well it's weird because sean lucas wait what lucas sean what are you calling him <laughs> Sean Lucas. Sean Boswell. Sean Boswell. Sean Lucas. um, (laughs) Sean Lucas is, you know, he says something like, this ain't no 10-second race. Like, how does he know that? How does he know that? Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. Good call. I found that weird, too. They're going to reveal in another movie he's Brian's brother. Long-lost Southern (laughs) Hick brother. (laughs) Long-lost Southern Hick brother. Great. Now we have Asians and Hicks after us. Thanks, Matt. (laughs) I'm sorry. Whenever I see Lucas Black, all I think of is Sling Blade. I'm sorry. All right, boys. On a scale of 1 to 10, what do you give Tokyo Drift? I'm going to go to Alex first. Okay. This rewatch was fantastic. I enjoyed myself so much watching this movie. Justin Lin was the perfect person to take this franchise over. And like we talked about earlier, I don't know if it's rare, but it's weird to me that a franchise after two films would need a shot in the arm to just kind of revitalize the franchise. Usually that takes a few more movies before, you know, somebody comes in, the studio comes in, is like, all right, let's build this thing back up. But they're doing it in the third movie. You you guys are right. This is this is a video on demand. This is straight to DVD. This is however you want to say it. This is a spinoff that should be a straight to video feature. And it has so much going for it. I think Chris Morgan coming in and writing the script 
gives us a really lived-in world, and the characters, they're not amazing. You know, it's still a Fast and Furious film at the end of the day, but that doesn't mean they have to be shitty, and I think this is one of the better ones. I think it's a better-told story. I think the ridiculousness is tempered. You know, it'll get fucking crazy as we progress in the, in this franchise, but I think this is a great installment. It's way better than Too Fast, Too Furious, and I'd venture to say it's probably better than the first one. I think I gave the first one seven. I'm also going to give this a seven, like a really strong seven on ten. I can't give it an eight. That's too nuts. You know, like Sean Lucas, not that great of an actor. Not believable for a high school student. I don't know why they put him in high school to begin with. But yeah, it's a really, really strong seven on ten. Very surprised at how much I enjoyed myself during this. And, you know, just a pretty straightforward action movie. Seven on ten for the man who has called him every single thing except for Lucas Black. (laughs) <laughs> All right, I got to go to my trusted co-host of over six years. And to be honest, I'm shocked that this man is as positive as he has led me to believe, but I'm ready for the swerve, Garrett. Hit me with your score on Tokyo Drift. Two on ten. Nah, just kidding. <laughs> Look, I got the movie I asked for, made by a director with a clear vision, and you know what? It did not disappoint. Now, don't get me wrong. This is still a B-movie with B-movie plots and B-movie sensibilities stacked with cliches that really start stacking up towards the middle of the movie. Kind of box it down a bit, but the soundtrack is the best of the series. The races in this all have a strong purpose, and I dug this movie. I cannot believe I'm saying that about a Fast and Furious movie, but I dug this movie. And uh, speaking of strong, if I were to grade Tokyo Drift on the Fast and Furious scale we've been using, I mean, let's make that clear. We said that last movie. This has got to be a different scale than what we're used to. And, you know, what I thought of, Matt, was the Transformers series where we watched those two Michael Bay Transformers films and we're like, okay, just bring the third one on. And I myself gave that one a strong seven. Um, If I were to grade Tokyo Drift on the Fast and Furious scale, I would go ahead and say, yeah, strong seven for uh, Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. Makes me so happy. I'm so, Garrett, I'm so glad you enjoyed this movie. Yeah, and like, gen- and like, genuinely enjoyed it. You're bringing up different moments yeah, in the film that, that that you enjoyed, and that's fucking awesome. I will say, it's not going to help Garrett's image of being the contrarian because so many people hate this fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> All kidding aside, I had a much better time with this movie than I thought I would, based on memory. If it wasn't for Lucas Black, I would put this film significantly higher in the grand scale. But I can't get over how much I dislike him and think he's just a blank slate. His gear is stuck in one drive and just doesn't do anything for me. But Justin Lin, I think he did for this series what, ironically, David Gates did for the Harry Potter films, where you're like, oh, this is the guy who understands the, what the material should be, but also puts enough in it to make it his own. Is this high-quality cinema? Depends who you ask. As far as stunt work goes, this is pretty up there with yeah. you know, what you would anticipate from a good summer movie. I think it gives you exactly what you asked for. If you're a Fast and Furious fan, I think you owe it to yourself to give this movie another shot. Especially with over the last couple of movies where they've gotten so ridiculous. Like, Garrett, you have no idea what you're in for later on. Mm-hmm. At least based off memory. But significantly better than the second one. I will never understand people who call this the worst film in the series. I wonder if it's like the people who think, Garrett, to use another example, the people that hate Friday the 13th Part 5 the most just because Jason's not in it. Mm-hmm. Like, I wonder if there's a similar rationale going on here. But I don't quite like it as much as I like the first one, even though, it, yeah, you're right. It is much more self-serious than this. But I think just that encapsulation of being part throwback, but also still its own thing is what I really 
endear myself to with the first one. So if I gave the first one a seven, I'm giving this one a, a solid six. I think this is a, a much better film than its reputation. And I'm glad that you guys liked it as much as you did. I thought this would be one of those shows where we're all over the map. Compared to those other two, this is fucking Spielberg's Jaws. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I will say I'm expecting this. And look, I know next week we're going to get Brian and Dom and their gang back. That's not really reassuring to me. But the more I look into this Justin Lin and his backstory and what he wants to bring to the series, the more I'm not going to say looking forward to it, but let's get Lin on board and let's see what he can do with those characters that I just despise so much in those previous two films. Um <laughs> Uh, I'm generally positive and optimistic about what we're going to get in the next few weeks. So Garrett touched on it with Vin Diesel making a cameo at the end of Tokyo Drift. It seemed evident that all roads were going to come back for everybody. Everybody sort of needed a gig around this time. The game was all back for Fast and Furious. They just dropped the the and thought that would suffice for a title. <sighs> so I hate when movies do that. The, the absurdity of these movie titles are as ridiculous as the shit you get in these movies. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm shocked they didn't go like Fast and Furious or something like that. Oh, they know? totally should have. I've been making <laughs> oh that joke God. for years. I thought it was going to be but, Fast and Furious, but the A was a four. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> but, boys, we're three movies down. We got quite a few more to go. I think we're... <laughs> I lose track of how many movies there are in this franchise, to be perfectly honest. Because the titles, you know, it's not Fast and Furious 9, Fast and Furious 5. They all have different titles. Yeah. Yeah. But speaking of consistency, Justin Lin came back for the next film. Chris Morgan came back. And the core four from the first film came back. But to what extent? We'll talk about that next time, boys. This has been a great discussion. I'm glad Garrett finally got some enjoyment out of this series. Absolutely. Two films of misery. (laughs) <laughs> at least on his part but what's not miserable is all the content that we put out here at bingemedia.net and if you really want to give us a little bit more of your hard-earned money for just five bucks a month you can subscribe to us over at patreon we got a whole bunch of exclusive content just for you fine patrons including a monthly happy hour we got our movie homework has made a return we got the docket which is talking about movies that one of the particular hosts hasn't seen and the full binge so you get to hear at least four hours minimum of drunken ramblings, sometimes more, but Correct. it's always a good time. Alex, I thank you for joining us on this, on this podcast as always. Garrett, my ever-dependable co-host, thank you for giving me the reins, although I think you would have it no other way. You were like, here, take it. I'm not even going to argue with you. <laughs> Pretty much. So, boys, till next time, you know what DK stands for? Binge Media. Thanks, guys. See you. Which one of these things is a dollar? It says something about. Back in ancient times, I want to know what those replacement hips is. That a swatch watch? Do you know what time it is? The binge aftertaste is produced by Garrett and Matt. It don't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning's winning.
So now we got cars flying in the air on some 007 type shit. This is not what we do. I feel like the sky is falling down. Ain't nobody here to play around. Push it to the edge, I won't back down. Cause it's time to go hard and go home. One way up, no way out. I give it all, all for the family. We stay up, no bailouts. Voice narration done by Adam. Edited by Garrett. You know what DK stands for? Donkey Kong. Drift King. That could have been my forehead, man. No, that's not as big as your forehead. I used to say I live my life a quarter mile at a time. And I think that's why we were brothers. Because you did too. As soon as we were off that call, I binge watched a bunch of Jeopardy just to make sure I still had enough brain cells to. All right. Speaking of a lack of brain cells, let's talk about a Fast and Furious movie. (laughs) MC Hammer, in the midst of his bankruptcy, funded Better Luck Tomorrow. So. Or what's the name of the movie? I'm sorry. I always yeah, get better that. Luck no, you got it. It's, it's yep. called Better yeah. Luck Tomorrow. Okay. Yeah, he funded Better Luck Tomorrow. So. We got to go back to that, too, because it's such a weird thing because they're together. They're a couple, but she likes. Um, what's his name? Sean? Sean. Sean. Sean, yeah. She likes Sean. You take the bedroom, so you think it's going to be like an actual, like you know, guest room. But then you cut. It's like uh-huh. a, I think Harry Potter had more space than this yes, guy does. <laughs> I can cross that joke off from my notes because there we go. Okay. <laughs> Landed all right. Yeah. So wait. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, he's doing a pretty good drifting. Yeah, drifting into traffic. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you did a Waldorf impression. <laughs> I'm, I'm a man of many talents. You should know this by now. Yeah, yeah. And he tells him, like, you know, he gives him this proverb, and he tells him, basically, sort it out before I kick you out, basically. Yep. I so, like that scene, con- though. I like 
I like that scene. I'm sorry, man. Mm-hmm. I completely stepped on it. No, no, go ahead. Um, so, boys, till next time, you know what DK stands for? Binge Media. Thanks, guys. <laughs> See you. He's so proud of that line. Oh, Listen yeah, to yes. him. He's so proud couldn't, of that line. Couldn't get it out. Couldn't get it out. He was laughing too hard. Well, I got choked up when I wrote that Harry Potter line. I'm like, oh my God, that's genius. <laughs> You've been listening to the Binge Media Podcast Network at BingeMedia.net. Support the show by donating on Patreon at Patreon.com slash BingeMedia. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And don't forget... Shut up! I'm waiting.